0: fans welcome back to amazing avenue audio the show my name is brian with me as always is chris and chris we haven't spoken in about two weeks on the pod although there have been pods on these topics since then but can you believe what our team how different our team looks uh from you know the conversation we had just about 10
1: days ago to the conversation we're having right now yeah it's it's kind of unreal i think we sort of left off at Oh yeah, I think Degrom will stick around, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so much has happened since then, and hey, it is very nice to have a team that is able to go out and and make a move like signing Justin Verlander to immediately make up for losing Jacob Degrom. Um, yeah, yeah, and we'll, we'll we'll touch on everything they've done, but. That is definitely the headliner of of this past what three days. Uh, DeGrom, left, no, DeGrom signed on
0: Saturday, right? It was Friday night. It was Friday night, okay. I, be- I believe. Yeah, it was a it was a Friday news dump, essentially. Yeah, so he signed Friday night, and then Verlander signed Monday morning. So, I mean, first of all, I I think that we have to we have to sort of pour one out for Jacob DeGrom as well as it's funny um my wife said to me like wow reality comes quick huh because i i was she was asking if i was upset about the I was saying well yes and no you know i'm upset because i want the best pitcher in baseball on my team i want longtime mets to be mets for their whole careers and that's you know that's i want Jacob deGrom's number hanging in the rafters of Citi Field next to Tom Seaver and you know one day David Wright. i want i want that to happen and um you know i said but if he doesn't want to be here, I really don't want to watch a disgruntled guy on the mound every 5 days. And, you know, as the Mets and every people say this is a Mets thing. This is not every baseball and every sports team thing. They always drag their guys when they're leaving, right? Out when they leave, when they're walking out the door, all of a sudden you hear this stuff that nobody was saying too loudly when they were playing for the Mets. But it seems like DeGrom was a a big anti-vax guy and, you know, He's a Florida man, and he was a traditional Florida man, even though he was our Florida man for a little while. And so, I definitely understand why some fans are are angry at Degrom for walking away. I don't think that's how I'm feeling. I think, I mean, look, we always say we are a pro labor podcast, and if this guy can make enough money to take care of his family for generations, and it's coming out of the pockets of billionaires. I am totally cool with that happening, um, but I also I am more measured in my feelings on this than I thought I was going to be. If you had told me, like you know, the last when the Mets were bounced in the playoffs, if you told me you're going to lose Degrom in a month and a half too, I'd have been despondent about it. But I feel like I have a, a slightly more measured take than I thought I would have. Uh, I'm curious how you're dealing with this, Chris
1: yeah i i think pretty similarly i think um maybe it's still a little bit of a defense mechanism or whatever, but seeing it in print that DeGrom uh didn't like the northern rules or whatever it was phrased yep, by John northern Heyman, rules yep uh regarding the pandemic and everything that, as somebody who um did not feel the way that Jacob Degrom felt. (laughs) I think I'm, I'm sort of using that a little bit as like a, yeah, well, whatever he, you know, he, he, uh, he didn't fit in anyway, regardless of what several of his teammates clearly agreed with. But (laughs) (laughs) I I think maybe that that's part of it. Um, I, I hope he gets to pitch in a playoff game again. I, I don't know. I, I, it's a combination of your confidence in his health and what the Texas Rangers are actually going to be capable of doing. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I it it didn't hit as hard as I thought it would. Maybe it will at some point, like actually seeing him pitch for another team next right, year. Right. Right. But I, it's just one of those things. Like, what are you? What are you going to do? I don't know. I can't blame the Mets for not going where Texas went with the contract, even in the context that Steve Cohen can afford anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, I get it. And it honestly seems like if they did, they weren't given the chance to really, one. But even if they were and they did, he probably leaves anyway. And, yeah, like you said, good for him. That's the most anybody was going to give him uh, in terms of years and probably the overall money. So, he certainly earned it. Um, I will say, obviously, the Mets did well in extending him the first time around. Uh, and the way the market for pitching has turned out, it it looked like a little bit of a team-friendly contract by the end. Mm-hmm. But not so much as David Wright's was. Correct. You, you know? Um, so... Yeah, he's done well for himself. He certainly deserves it. I I think you can make a Hall of Fame case for him, and this is something that came up when Johan Santana's career went, you know, pretty much down the tubes with injury all of a sudden. Um, but you can make a case for the Hall of Fame for DeGrom, even if things don't go well over the next few years. But I do hope he is healthy. It certainly better for baseball for him to be out there um and it, it just you know jacob DeGrom facing mike, mike trout uh, granted less often than he would under the old schedule uh that baseball was using for basically our entire adult lives <laughs> but that sort of a thing is is a objectively good matchup to get to have but uh yeah it's what a change it is to say a franchise altering player left and they signed somebody who is a reasonable bet to be as good as him or or maybe even better uh, next season
0: yeah i mean that that to me is i mean you know there's a lot of things that steve cohen's ownership does that changes the way that we just perceive the Mets, right? We, we grew up in the Wilpon era and, you know, all the all the good and bad and whatever that that means, I think we are still somewhat unaccustomed to an owner saying like, well, fuck, we lost to Grom. Let's get somebody great right now. That just wasn't a Wilpon strategy. And so you sort of knew as soon as this happened, okay, there's going to, you know, uh, by the end of the winter meetings, if nothing, even if nothing happens, the Mets will be rumored to be talking to everybody. And there will be, you know, some sort of um, understanding that this is not going to just be taken laying down. Like, I feel like one of the things that the Wilpon Mets said all the time is, like, we tried. What do you expect us to do? They, you know, we you know we you know, they kind of kind of just making the instant excuse for um you know for why something didn't go the way that the Mets had hoped it would go um and i feel like it's just really refreshing to have the team basically say like no this was uh you know we lost we lost our player but we're not going to sit sit around and bitch and moan about it we're going to uh we're going to ensure that the Mets team for next year is ready to go and there's nothing that's going to hold us back from doing that and it's just so refreshing to have that be the position um so yeah i mean that is that is a really a really nice thing and to your point i think there's a case to be made that perhaps uh verlander is going to be considerably better than Degrom in the first year of the contract. Anything beyond that, I think, I'm not quite as sure about. But I mean, Verlander had a a career year last year. He is not that far removed from Tommy John surgery, and therefore he is, um, you know, his he has some rest under under his belt. You know, right now he has not been pitching as many innings as. Guys who are his age, he has a new UCL, and so you know you hope that maybe he, um, you know, will be a healthier forty-year-old than certainly than me, <laughs> who is a forty-year-old. Uh but you know, but just then you would expect a guy with his many miles on him to be like right now. It seems like the Mets have put themselves in a position where this move could look very bad in a year or two and it's baseball players get hurt all the time. I'm not saying he's not going to get hurt, but I will say that I, I feel like this is as close to a sure bet as you can get for an older player. And, uh, that's sort of amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And look, when DeGrom is out there and healthy, I think he is, Unquestionably, the best pitcher on the planet, but better encompasses uh, both quantity and quality. I think. Yes. I think yeah. That, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's it's the best thing they could do, given the circumstances, and uh, I'm, it's very strange that Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer are the uh, the one two. Uh, whichever order you want to put them in, in the Mets rotation, um, something that would have sounded absolutely and in, in, incredibly unrealistic. Um, not, not that, that long, long ago. ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just even imagine, like when those players became available the last time they were free agents before they signed with the Mets, it wasn't even a remote possibility that they would... End up on the team. Yeah. Oh no! So for both of them to be there and be the highest paid pitchers in the league at the same time, uh, it just wow! What what a what a difference a couple of years makes. Yeah, and you know we will have plenty more words to say about Verlander
0: over his tenure as a Met. I you know I, I've watched the guy pitch a lot because I've watched a lot of baseball over the last fifteen or twenty years, but. I don't have a great sense for sort of how he is day in, day out, because I've never watched him every single day, right? So I'm interested to see, I'm interested to observe an all-time great on a day-to-day basis. Um, I will miss DeGrom for the same reason. Like, even though everyone on the planet, I, mean, I one of my best friends, Anthony, who listens, hello, Anthony, um, he is a huge DeGrom fan, and he texted me that he's upset that DeGrom... Is gone. This means he has to watch less Degrom baseball. But even if you're not as baseball obsessed as Anthony is, I think everybody who cares about baseball sees the Degrom highlights every fifth day. But to me, Degrom was always more than just the highlights. I I I loved watching him get out of a jam when he didn't have his best stuff, and that doesn't always make the highlights. I loved the way he could induce early in his career had the way he induced contact to get out, and later in his career how he just decided, fuck that, I'm gonna strike everybody out. Like you know, right. there, there was so much there were so many great things to watch about to watch with DeGrom pitch that wouldn't show up on Sports Center or MLB network. And so I'm gonna miss that stuff a lot for DeGrom.
1: Yeah. And and it's the end of an era. He it, we talked about this a little bit offline before uh before the podcast, but um not only is he the last of that group of the five pitchers along with uh Wheeler, Harvey, Mats, and uh Syndergaard, the last of that group to depart uh but it sort of felt like that like David Wright was clearly the sort of face of the Mets in uh in, in the era that preceded DeGrom um And DeGrom never really took that role necessarily in the way that Wright did. I mean, Wright was at one point named the captain of the Mets, a relatively rare thing to happen in franchise history. DeGrom was never that, but it just felt like there was some overlap there. And he was still around as of this year, pitching in a playoff game, you know, seven years after he and David Wright were in the playoffs, uh, Together, when the Mets made it to the World Series, so having him leave sort of breaks that sort of chain, chain the you know succession, if you will. Yep. Of those two eras, uh, and that five young pitchers plus Bartolo era is over now. Like really over. <laughs> yes. Um. So. Yeah. I, I I think everything you said is dead on. I will definitely miss him. Um and I don't know. Right now I'm just not acknowledging that really.
0: <laughs> no, and I get that. I I do. Uh, I also think the the way that this you know just the, the way that all of this went down It's been very hard for us to fully mourn Degrom or fully celebrate Verlander, because we're having to do both in the space of a day. I said, Anthony texts me. He's like, "This is like a Bible story. It's like three days of sadness followed by three days of joy, right?" There's like, there is just there, there is no time to really fully feel all the feelings because the next thing happened so quickly. so I am interested just to, to see sort of how we how we feel about this when we've had more time to 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 let it all you know sink in uh but yeah, but that's not all that happened this week in Mets baseball um the Mets also went out and signed Jose Quintana, the left-handed starting pitcher to. Uh, further help their rotation. Um, do you have any like strong feelings on Quintana? I I really don't. Uh, you know he's he he's he's older. He's 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 I believe he's the youngest starting pitcher the Mets currently have as like one of their actual like not counting guys like Tyler McGill or uh, David Peterson who may or may not actually make the rotation. Um, but you know he he's he's not a kid, but he's somebody who has sort of reinvented his career as of late, and those can be really great signings, or those can sometimes be fluky, oh, shit, we signed somebody thinking that they had put it all together, but it was just a good season kind of signings. Uh, Do you you have any like strong feelings about him as a pitcher?
1: So he was a guy who went from pretty solid to, uh, I don't know, just average-ish. For the last several years. And then uh, in in 2021, he wound up pitching more in relief than in a rotation. And uh, his ERA really ballooned into the mid-sixes. But this year, he puts up a 2.93 ERA uh, in 32 starts. And I don't know. You can just kind of look and say, right now, the outlier looks like his 2021 season. Um, and you know, even in the few years leading up to that, he still had an ERA. It, it wasn't great, but it was 4.28, um, passable, you know? Yeah. Um, but he's a guy who I'll admit that, uh, somewhere along the way between 2017 and, and last year had just sort of fallen off my radar. I mean, the Mets didn't play the Cubs that many times when he was there. Right. Um. You know, he, he wasn't there when they, I just keep going back to the 2015 playoffs, but he wasn't there when that happened. <laughs> <laughs> so, he you know, he was a guy who was easy to uh, not pay a whole lot of attention to. But, I don't know, a lefty at 33 who seems to have figured out something that worked. Uh, it, it wouldn't be unheard of to have sort of that late, mid to late career career. Uh, breakout yeah and it's weird to say for a guy who had an era in the threes for several years to start his career but um but yeah it's it's totally fine even if he ends up as like a four-ish era guy whatever uh, we've seen what the market is um and Taiwan walker and jamison tayon both signed similar contracts with uh with their respective new teams and I think when you look at the difference between what those pitchers provide and and Quintana, uh, look it's it's not a it's about how many games you win, not how much value you get out of a contract. But the Mets seem to have done well here. I, I think it's pretty reasonable to expect that he could at least step in and give you what Walker gave you. Right. Uh, and you know you're not just trying to replicate the 2021 Mets. Uh, Sorry, 2022 Mets, but they did win 101 games. So, (laughs) right, exactly. Yes. (laughs) If you can sort of swap in parts to match what you had, there's no guarantee you're going to win 100 again. Uh, But, you know, just as a reminder, they were on a pace to win well over 100 for a while. Yes. And if you win 95, even if you don't win the division, that's fine. Uh, Obviously, I want them to win the division. I can't stand the Braves. The Phillies are going to get annoying since they've, uh, we haven't even touched on them. They they added Trey Turner to their mix as part of a relatively active winter meetings week so far. So, yeah. But anyway. (laughs) No, I mean, I I think, you know, I
0: I, I agree with pretty much everything that you're saying here. Um, You know, I, I think that Quintana was a smart, pickup, I think that he he may be somebody who, and look, he's a lefty, and lefties in uh, late in their careers tend to just settle into a groove and then continue that groove. Like, you know, I remember my dad saying to me when I was a kid, like, if you were left-handed, I'd have made sure you were a pitcher because lefties pitch forever, right? So you just, this is a guy who maybe won't age at the exact same uh pace that you'd expect another 34-year-old to to age to, to age into and uh that's great so I uh I think it's a good move. I, I especially think it's a good move because this was not them saying, well now we're out on other starting pitchers. I was concerned that this was going to be the the end of their starting pitching uh conquests for the offseason and they've said no we're still in on Senga we're still in on others we want to make sure that this is that our rotation is is taking care of and is a priority and as long as that's the case I think this is an excellent move but if this was their only pitching addition along with Verlander I'd, I'd have been a little bit more down on it
1: yeah oh yeah yeah that totally makes sense I mean I think I hope I'm speaking for all of us and saying that we want Senga to be sort of the the last piece of this rotation since he has the most upside and and it'd be fun to see the Mets make that kind of a signing. Yes. For once. Um I mean in the history of the team they have signed some players from Japan, but they've never been in on like the best ones.
0: Well, the when, one time
1: available. The one
0: time that the Mets did was uh that ill-fated off-season of I, I was it the o one o two off-season where they brought in Tsuyoshi Shinjo, who was like their big Japanese acquisition, but also Mo Vaughn, Robbie Alomar, um, uh, Jeremy Burnitz. Wasn't that all the same off-season, or, or or was it was it just were they near each other those off-seasons?
1: I'm trying to remember. I thought Shinjo was around slightly before. No, no, you're right. He he, it was 2001 that he played for the Mets for the first time. So yeah, coming off the World Series loss to the Yankees, right? Mm-hmm. But man, Mo Vaughn, remember him? He was he was pretty awesome when he was good. Well, yeah, and that then, wasn't with the Mets. Mets fans but... never saw that exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Um, well, yeah, no. So the, Shinjo was signed for the two thousand one season. Movon w- didn't play in two thousand one because okay. of injuries. Okay, that's what it was. All right. Um.
0: But yeah, but but Shinjo was like the one guy who they went out and and really got from uh, from directly from Japan, uh, right?
1: Or, or am I forgetting? Well, I mean, Kaz Matsui was right. But you were they, that those none of those were like the caliber of player. No, I guess you're right. Yeah, I mean there was Matsui,
0: there was Shinjo. I was Kaz Ishii. Was was he got directly from Japan? Hmm. Again, this, Possibly. this is like this. This is slightly the Wild West for my Mets fandom. I was in college at this point, and yeah, yeah. you know there was internet. Yes, I'm not that old, but it's uh, but you know it it was harder to follow the team as closely without being. Like in the city and having, or in the area and getting a newspaper and all that. God, I sound like a thousand years old when I talk about this, but you understand what I'm saying. Um, but yeah, just, you know, but all those, all those players just felt like, yes, there was hype around them, but they were never hyped the way that, like, the Mets did not go after Ichiro. The Mets did not go after, um, I mean, um, You know, players would eventually come to the Mets. You know, your Daisuke Matsuzakas, your Hideo Nomos. But the the Mets weren't the ones necessarily, you know, making that big push.
1: Right. Yeah, no, never. uh, And Otani, obviously, is the mega star, uh, probably the biggest player to successfully come from Japan and just be awesome in -hmm. Major League Baseball. And they, you know, they weren't even...
0: Sniffing at in that
1: conversation, yeah, right? Yeah. So, so it would just be nice to see, um, you know, to see that happen. And and look, if it ends up being Chris Bassett or somebody like that, that's that's fine too. Um, I don't know if there's going to be a huge gap between Sangha and Bassett. Uh, but, no,
0: I, I don't think yeah, there will it, be
1: either. Yeah, the, the tantalizing. Talent, uh, you know, there's some fun in in the unknown. I think, <laughs> yeah, that'd be well, nice. Yeah, exactly. I mean, fun in the unknown is like the it, that that is the theme
0: of all of the winter meetings, isn't it? <laughs> like, yeah, you know, just yeah. just having this, uh, you know, again, there's a very good chance that Jacob Gram and Justin Verlander have very very similar seasons this year. But if Verlander has a truly great season, it will somehow feel different because it's new you know whereas if DeGrom had a great season it would feel like well just DeGrom being DeGrom because we're used to that so uh, right but yeah it's uh the rotation is certainly still a work in progress but the fact that they're talking about I mean you know usually when Andy Martino is tweeting it is saying thing it, it is lowering expectations for Mets fans because he was a puppet of the Wilpons and so they would He would say things like, you know, the Mets don't have the budget to go after this player and this player. Well, last night he had tweeted, you know, the Mets are still expecting or or, or anticipate being able to sign both Senga and Brandon Nemo. And, you know, if they can do that, that is awesome. That is that is what that's what a a good Mets offseason at this point in their uh, structure looks like.
1: Yeah. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem
0: some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Real quickly, before I know that we were we are on a bit of a schedule today. Um, the Mets also continued to do a bunch of little things for their bullpen. Uh, yesterday in the Rule Five draft, the Mets took Zach Green from the Yankees who uh seems like he may like may stick in the rotation in in the on the roster for the entire season, which is a tough thing to do if you're a rule 5 draft pick, but he he seems to have the stuff for it. They also traded for Brooks Raley from the the Rays and uh you know, it just and, and they brought back Tommy Hunter and Sean Reed Foley on minor league deals. So it seems like the Mets are just throwing a lot of bodies at the bullpen and they're going to see who sticks, which is a great way to build a bullpen. I still hope they bring back Adam Adovino and maybe go after one more real quality piece. But, you know, the winter meetings makes it sound like everything has to happen right now. There's a lot of relief pitchers out there, and they'll be there in January. And so I wouldn't be surprised if the Mets, you know, maybe sign Adovino in the next couple weeks, but then you'll see some additional bullpen pieces trickle out, you know, towards the start
1: of the year. Um, How do you feel about the bullpen? Still an area of concern. Probably my biggest. Um, I do think that they need to keep Brandon Nimmo uh, on the position player side of things. But the bullpen still kind of scares me. It's in better shape now than it was uh, before. I wish they had found a lefty who hadn't vocally been uh, anti-LGBTQ on the field this season. Uh, But... Strictly from a performance perspective, the bullpen is in much better shape than it was, you know, relatively recently. But they still need more. Like they, they've got to sign some guys. Um. Yeah, there's just there's there's too much uncertainty. There's some upside there for sure uh, with uh, Zach Green, who you just mentioned, Jeff Brigham, who they brought over from. Uh, Miami, Eliza Hernandez, if he ends up in the bullpen, I think we're all expecting him to sort of be the Trevor Williams uh type guy this year. Mm. But sure, there's there's some upside there. Maybe Steven Nagosi's you know, relatively good numbers in a small sample of the major league level are, are for real and and he sticks, but um, I mean you
0: know,
1: they on Jimmy Yakobonis. They brought in um
0: William Woods from the Braves when he was DFA, they brought in Stephen Ridings from the Yankees when he was DFA'd. You know, like the, they they've been collecting these these players that, along with the Tommy Hunters of the world and Steven Goessens of the world, you know, I think that there probably is a good bullpen in there. What I would like them to do, and it seems like what they're doing, is to be able to mitigate that by just having so many people that if one or two of those people doesn't work out. It's not a catastrophe. You know, you and I were talking at the end of last season about how we really wish the uh, sorry, at the beginning of last season, how we felt they did not address the bullpen enough in the off season and then didn't address it enough during the season either. So, you know let's really do our part to make sure that uh, you know, by just by by putting pressure on the Mets as fans saying you know, the bullpen needs to be an area of concern. Let's make sure they really do do this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's hopefully something that they'll build out more properly and it you know similar concept to the rotation is just in the rotation they've now filled more of the holes
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh with obvious major league players you know and it, that's not a knock on mcgill and peterson but those guys should not go in as your fifth or fourth or third best starters uh on a team with a payroll around 300 million and coming off a 101 win season yes and the good, uh-huh.
0: what people, I think, sometimes, you know, they, they want the young guys to play, and I totally understand that concept. If McGill is suddenly pitching like Jacob DeGrom in AAA, he'll be playing. Don't worry. Like, the Mets will find opportunities for that guy to play. Um, but not going in with the just preconceived, oh, McGill will figure it out this year. You know, we need to be better about building these, these teams that have true depth so that we can let those players find their real talent at a pace that isn't rushed yeah
1: that's all I have to say essentially about that um yeah oh and since we mentioned the two pitchers uh just now if you're losing sleep over Jake Mangum being you know the return or part of the return for that Marlins trade I I don't know I don't know let's uh, there's got to be better ways to spend that baseball energy on something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, uh, you know,
0: it, it's interesting. Um, you know, even within our staff, like our own Steve Saipa is a, is much higher on Mangum than some of the other folks are. And Steve laid out some good reasons. He was a good he's a good defender. He, his power seems to be coming a little bit later. But dude's 27 years old. There were 30. There were 29 other teams had the opportunity to take him for free yesterday, and didn't do it in the Rule Five draft. Right. So he can't be that special, folks. And then he comes back to bite the Mets, that's that's the price of, of doing business. He will play infinitely more in Miami than he would have played in New York.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, know. It's uh, certainly a better opportunity for him. And uh, the one difference is that the Marlins don't have to keep him in the majors, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Like they would have if they or anybody else had taken him in the Rule Five. But. <clears throat> um, yeah, so it goes. Um, yep. Not wishing him uh, failure or anything, but oh no, of course just not, not. Just not something that I'm worrying about. Yeah, yeah. We we have we have bigger fish to fry uh,
0: in almost every part of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> so let's not worry about about our our pal Jeff going down to Miami. Uh, Jake. Jake, I'm sorry. <laughs> See, we talked about it beforehand how we weren't going to do that. Right. Oh, man, neutral Hotel has just spoiled their brains.
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> so God with damn. that... <laughs> with that, Chris, what's your music pick? <laughs> um, so unfortunately, uh, it, you know, these things come up um, when there's a tragedy in music. You, you celebrate that, uh, you know, that musician, their work and everything. Um so uh, hamish kilgore of the clean uh passed away earlier this week and if you don't know the clean you're not alone um they're a relatively obscure band uh from new zealand Uh, they had started in the late 70s and across uh, decades really had had put out quite a bit of music Uh, and you know if you look at sort of just as a rough metric on these things, there's only a few songs of theirs that have gotten traction of of any significance on spotify right they're They're not like a super well known band, but if you're into a lot of the music that that we're into a lot of the things that we recommend on the show um, the clean are like a super important band uh, it came to my attention because they were from New Zealand, my wife and I went to New Zealand for our honeymoon uh, and my cousin was like, Oh, you should listen to this band The clean while you're there. And I admit I didn't know them at all before then. Um, But we did listen quite a bit while we were over there and the album recommendation I'm making. So a lot of their stuff as is is often the case when a band isn't like the biggest band in the world uh, goes out of print. It's hard to find hard to even necessarily find a definitive discography of everything they did. in in, especially in their earlier years Uh, but anthology is pretty uh (laughs) self-explanatory title and uh it's it captures i think if not all very very close to all of the early work of the clean and i don't know that that was necessarily exactly what we listened to when we were on that trip but all the songs that stood out the most um they're in there so that's you know it's a it's a pretty great place to start um and there's just uh, to me they're the band it's like the perfect bridge between the velvet underground and sonic youth um and it, so if you like either of those two bands if you if you like YOLA tango um the clean fit right in as sort of a piece of the puzzle of how you get uh you know, from those sounds that preceded them to the ones that came after them. So, um, yeah, you know, that, that breaks my desert days recommendation streak, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you, you can't go wrong with all this. Uh, I never did get to see them play live. Uh, I'm not even entirely sure if there was an opportunity that I missed, but, um, yeah, just really catchy, uh, good music to listen to so I, I know that sounds really simple but that that's a pretty high compliment yeah absolutely
0: uh they're a band I, I know a song here or there but I've never really done a deep dive and so this this will give me that opportunity um I used to infrequently work at a record store here in Jersey and the owner was one of the crankiest men I've ever met and um he record would... store owner was cranky no yeah, I know I, I mean, even more <laughs> than you'd expect and for instance there was I, I was there a couple days after george harrison died and someone came in and bought a couple of george harrison records and as he was lo- leaving the store i'm going to lean back from the microphone i'm going to do it exactly how, how he did it he went you fucking ghoul because he was not listening to george harrison until he died and so was calling him this guy a ghoul and like <laughs> like people are busy man like you know life is hard if you don't realize how much you care about george harrison until he's gone it that's unfortunate. You should celebrate the people you like while they're here, but don't be mad at somebody for for not know for I don't know. Just it seemed really right. hard to me. So like you know, yes, am I li- should I have listened to the clean five years ago? Absolutely, I should have. Did I? No. Should I be punished for doing it now? I don't think so. Um, right. <laughs> but yeah, literally screaming at the guy as he was walking out the door after he paid him, of course. Um, but uh, screaming at the dude, so. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, my pick is, um, you know, so many albums come out every year and I try to listen to as many as I can. But obviously things slip through the cracks. But in December, I always scour a couple of websites that I really trust in terms of their how they think about music. And I look at their favorite records and then I sort of go through a search of. Artists I like. Did the artist put out an album this year? You know, there are some very prolific artists. Like, if if you're a, as Chris knows, a King Giz fan and you don't pay attention for a few months, you might miss five new King Giz albums. And so, um, one of my favorite musicians is the jazz guitarist Bill Frizzell. Uh, I have never heard a Frizzell album I didn't like, but I have, I certainly prefer, prefer some to others. Um, but he released a record this year called Four. And uh, it's a new quartet that he has. And it's a, it's a quartet with an interesting instrumentation. It is not um, your traditional, like, guitar, bass, drums, and, and uh, you know, reed or whatever. It's for Zola Guitar. There is a, a, a reed player named Greg Tardy who plays tenor saxophone, clarinet, and bass clarinet. And then a pianist, uh, Gerald Clayton, and a drummer, Jonathan Blake. And, you know, I... I'm somebody who knows jazz and I still kind of tend to group jazz into like one category. It's it's jazz or not jazz. And this is not that. This is this is something that is um it is not like wild out jazz. It is just four guys who are listening to one another. It is it has some of the best interplay of any record I've heard in a very long time. These guys are just listening to every note coming out of the other's instrument and responding in kind. Uh, There's a couple of songs in particular that I wanted to shout out. Um, There's a song first. The record is is a lot of the songs are based on people who died this year or died recently, friends of theirs, and so it's a very melancholy record in parts, but beautiful. But there's a song called Holiday that is just has been in my head since I heard it. Waltz for Hal Wilner is amazing. Claude Utley, which is about a painter, and sort of they sort of use music to paint on the on the on a canvas of a song. It's awesome. So if you like jazz at all, if four musicians with great interplay and really restrained playing sounds good to you, check out Four by Bill Frizzell. Um, And that does it for this episode of Mason Avenue Audio, the show. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it. Go to MasonAvenue.com. We have lots and lots of Mets analysis in the days following the winter meetings. And any breaking news, we'll be back for a podcast to cover that uh, throughout the off-season, hopefully. Uh, You can find the podcast on... Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find podcasts. Please rate, review, and subscribe when you do that. While you're on your social media network of choice, you can find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. Chris is on Twitter at Chris McShane. I am on Twitter at BrianEasonApp. And until next time, let's go back.